So let's begin by just asking the Lord to be with us. Father, we can do nothing without you and all things with you, and nothing is impossible for you. And we are just, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world, Lord, to remake it, to remake us, to make us new in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we open up your word today, we, again, we need you. We need you to open it, uh, open it up to our hearts. Let us not only understand it, but let us um, be able to apply it individually to our own lives, that we can be better lovers of Christ and uh, more effective for your kingdom. And we pray that your will would be done today in this, in this room, in this study. In Jesus' name, amen. So the cool thing, one cool thing about Acts 15 <clears throat> is that um, it was written, well, I shouldn't say it was written, it happened around the same time, it was about AD 49, um, AD 48 to 49, somewhere in there. But this was sort of right around the time where Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Does anybody remember the book of Galatians? <laughs> I do. What was the book of Galatians about, Aunt? Yes. Very good. Yeah, they were they were trying to say that if you want to be a follower of Christ, then you have to follow the law of Moses and you have to basically become a Jew, quote unquote, before you're able to become a Christian. And so that's to basically what the book of Galatians is about. And uh, we get out of that book that it's, we are not justified by works of the law. We're justified by our faith in Christ. <clears throat> and so what we're seeing here is in chapter 15, after Paul had completed his <clears throat> missionary journey, his first missionary journey, um, as we know, there were people that as he would go into one city, he would preach the gospel, the Jews would rise up, they would refute what he was saying, and they would persecute him, and then Paul would go to another city, he would preach the gospel, and then they would follow him there. And so <clears throat> that's sort of what was happening now in chapter 15, but instead of um, the Jews opposing Paul, they now, it says in 15.1, some men come down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So now we have Christian Jewish people coming down and sort of arguing with him. And so it says here in verse 2 that Paul and Barnabas had a great debate <clears throat> and dissension with them. <clears throat> and it was uh, a very, you know, it was a scary time. You know, like um, <clears throat> imagine, you know, when, you know, this church has went through a lot, I know, over the years. And, you know, but imagine when you brought your new pastor in, you know, Within a month or two, if there's great dissension in the church, you know, there's division, there's arguing over doctrine, there's, there's uh, questions of whether or not the church is even going to continue, is, is what they were thinking here. Because <clears throat> what does the Bible say about a house divided? It, can, it does not stand. And so, especially the Apostle Paul, um, hit one of his... <clears throat> underlying themes in all of his letters is that of unity. 
Does, uh, um, Gab, would you want mind reading from Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6? Ephesians 4, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> Yeah, so here we see, you know, Paul like really emphasizing, you know, when you see that repetitiveness in scripture, um, in the Greek language, in the Hebrew language, Aramaic, all that repetitiveness indicates emphasis. So <clears throat> he is going way out of his way um, to, and that's just a little bit of a peek into Paul's uh, emphasis on unity. If you if you go through the book of Romans, you know, obviously it's got tons of great theology in there. But again, he's trying to say our badge of membership in the body of Christ, in the, in the people of God, is no longer our identity in the Torah. It's in it's faith. That's what makes us, that's our identity badge. And Paul goes in Romans to makes the argument that this was even with Abraham. Before the law was given, he was justified by faith. So faith was always the intended badge, but there had to be a lot to go there. The law had to come in, as Paul explains in Romans 6 and 7, for very specific reasons. And those reasons have now been fulfilled. Those reasons have now been uh, complete. They weren't nullified. They were fulfilled, as Jesus said. So now the law has a different purpose that it did before, um, but yet it is an expression. Remember this about the law. There are certain movements uh, in Christianity that don't value the Old Testament as high as the New. <clears throat> but, the, but all of Scripture is inspired by God. And although we don't have to follow the uh, absolute pattern of the Torah, we can certainly extract application for our life from it, regardless of what it is, whether it's Leviticus or Deuteronomy or whatever, we can learn the character of God from that and how to apply it to our life, to the, to the world, and pretty much everything. But what did they do? So this is a really cool um, lesson, I think, here. When they had great dissension and debate, they didn't handle this uh, in a divisive way. I think they handled it in a very biblical way. <laughs> they determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. No matter where you are in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem Judea, in Israel, even if, you're, even if you're in northern Israel, they still use the phrase, go up to Jerusalem, because it's the, it's the mountain, okay? It's the hill, it's the high place. So although they were in Antioch, the church of Antioch was in northern Israel. That was pretty much the most established church at the time. <clears throat> That's where missionaries were being sent out of. Um, they went up to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas. So this was after... Paul had his dispute with Peter in Galatians. Because remember, what was Peter doing? 
Does anybody remember what he was doing, which caused Paul to him and him have that a little bit of a conversation? Uh, living inconsistently with the Jews and Gentiles. I think he was welcoming one, but not the other. Right. So, exactly. So he would be like, uh, there, there would be no, there would be no like real significant leaders of the Jews in the church at Galatia. And Peter would say, hey, let's all sit down to eat together with the Gentiles. And then when the influencers came, Peter said, I'm not eating with the Gentiles. I'm going to eat over here with the Jews. And Paul said, what, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're, you're backtracking here. You're, you're, you're sort of, <clears throat> it's like you're putting the scaffolding, back on the scaffolding back on the building after the building's already built. We don't need to do that. We're all one here. And so Peter really had learned, Peter and Paul had resolved that thankfully. Um, so you want to think because Peter's about to really stand up and, um, and stand up for the Gentiles to be included without circumcision. But what did they do when a problem arose? What did they do? They didn't argue. They didn't fight. Who, who could summarize what they did in our, our own language, in our own terms? At a board meeting. Yeah. <laughs> right. They had a board meeting. Exactly. I think it's really good because this is what we have to do when we have disagreements among, not even within the church, but even among brothers and sisters. You know, Satan's number one um, attack, form of attack, is this division. Satan wants to divide the brethren. He wants us to be separate and not on the same page. Satan wants us to think that you have it right, they have it wrong, and, and so, you know, you have to take the stand, even if it means division. Now, the, don't get me wrong. There are some times when brothers and, and people have to split, but always be done in a spirit of unity, even when there is a split or even when there is disagreement. When uh, as as um, as leaders of a church, if you're a leader in a ministry, you know, one of the main things that <clears throat> that we have to do as leaders, and and I'm speaking for us here specifically, is you have to submit unto one another when you have those situations. Does it mean you need to agree with everything? But when you're behind closed doors, you should submit unto one another. And that goes with our families as well, too. You know, because we have to, when we get out into the church, when we get out into the world, we don't want to show a, a, a divided front. We want to show a unified front. And so it's so important to look at this, that this major, major issue in the early church, the first thing that they did was they spoke about it. Okay. And these are, these are teachers. These are leaders. Okay. They spoke about it. They had dissension. They had debate. And they didn't say, well, forget you, you're never allowed in here anymore, and there's going to be two churches, the church of the, you know, the circumcised and the church of the Gentiles. They said, you know what, let's go and bring in some other brothers to hear this. And that's always a really good thing to do. Get a third party, get somebody that's obviously aligned, but obviously is not, uh, doesn't, doesn't necessarily have a, they have a, they have a, uh, an unbiased view. They can be able to come in and they could look at the scriptures and that's exactly what happens. So they end up going back. They said, all right, so let's go to Jerusalem. So Paul and, and, and Barnabas, they go back to Jerusalem, 
But as they're going, they, you can't stop these guys. They're preaching. They go to Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail. This is verse uh, three, uh, the conversion of the Gentiles. And they were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. They didn't go and say, oh, we're having all these problems. You gotta be on my side because don't you agree with this? Don't you? No, they, they had that united front. They go to Jerusalem and now they're about to have one of the first, um, I guess, uh, corporate, <laughs> rather than say corporate um, councils, I guess you could say. One of the very first councils of the church is the council of Jerusalem. But what happened is, as soon as they had done this, some of the sect of the Pharisees, now these are the Judaizers that Anthony mentioned, uh, who had believed, they stood up in this meeting saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Does everybody know what that means? Serve the law of Moses, to circumcise and uh, serve the Lord. Does everybody get that? Does anybody not know what we're talking about here? I don't mean the actual act of, of that, but do you, do you guys understand what's going on here? So the Jewish people are saying, you have to follow the Torah, okay? Because I know in our, in our modern day vernacular, when we hear the law, we automatically think of what? The law of the land, but as it relates to the Bible, when, we, when somebody says Ten follow the Ten Commandments. So this is, be, this is not just the Ten Commandments. It's not just the moral law. It's the entire Torah that they're saying that they need to start to practice. Okay, and um, again, uh, can you blame them? Why? It's, well, everything was just starting out. That was their reference point. Yeah. They didn't have systematic theologies. <laughs> they didn't have multiple Bibles and multiple, you know, languages and translations. They didn't have uh, top leaders who were uh, writing books and on these things. These are zealous people for the Lord who were trying to, and I'm not saying all of them, but they were, they were very much, uh, they had the fear of the Lord and they said, look, we're, you know, what's going on here? So, the apostles and the elders, verse 6, come together to look into this matter. So they got the whole council together. I'm not sure how many were there. But after had been, there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, and this is Peter talking, right? So this is Peter who was just recently, you know, doing this stuff. He was sort of joining in. Peter, I shouldn't say Peter was joining in. Peter was probably unsure so he was probably playing both sides of the fence, but by here he's convinced. After much debate, Peter stood up and said, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by, by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's he referring to there? By his mouth. Um, nope, but close. No, but the Gentiles would believe. No, Peter. So Paul would be easy, right? Because Paul's considered the, the apostle to the Gentiles, right? But what, do you guys remember a couple chapters back? Yeah, what's his name? Cornelius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was when Peter, when Peter was laying on the roof and, the, and he had the curtain drop down and he said, Peter, kill and eat. Yeah. So I want you to remember that because that's important. Kill and eat. 
And what was on that? All sorts of unclean animals. Mostly what made an animal unclean was um, uh, there was various types like shellfish were, were unclean, but mostly animals that were, that, had, that were eaten with blood in them, right? Like they were either strangled or they were killed and they were, the blood was not drained out. <clears throat> so Peter's referring back to this. That's the early days. That's the early days of when the Gentiles heard. Because by this time, Paul and Barnabas had been sent out on the first missionary journey. And they, here's, here's the map that I drew. Remember, they, they went, and uh, I'm joking, by the way. They went out into all this area. This is all Gentile areas. You know, there were synagogues there. But they preached to the Gentiles in all this area. And now they're back down here at Jerusalem. And this is the church of Antioch, the one that they, that they, went, up, that they went up from. They stopped in Phoenicia and all these places, Samaria, and, and they went there. So, <clears throat> how many years passed through the Book of Acts, like all together? Well, here we're looking at about fourteen or fifteen years um, after Paul's conversion. Okay. So, this, you're, you're looking at AD forty-nine, AD forty. So, you're looking at about eighteen, nineteen years since Christ's ascension. Yeah, and then the end is around A.D. 50 or 6, 55, something like that. Um, yeah, so he stands up <clears throat> in the early days. God made a choice among you by the mouth of the Gentiles he, that, you know, by my mouth, he said, they would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them. I mean, this is that time with Cornelius. By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us in the beginning. Remember in the beginning, what Kevin just mentioned in Pentecost, the Spirit of the Lord came in a powerful way. They were baptized with the Spirit of God. They started speaking in other languages. And that's the same thing that happened with Cornelius when he believed. So it wasn't so much like, oh, here, Cornelius is going to be, you know, have the Holy Spirit. God did it in that way to show the synergy now between those two groups. It's the same thing. There's no distinction. Gentiles get the Holy Spirit too. He made no distinction, it says in nine, between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. See, that's the only way our heart can be cleansed. By faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what he says here. So why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers uh, nor we have been able to bear? What's that yoke? That yoke is the law which can never cleanse your heart. The Torah couldn't cleanse your heart. The Torah could only cover and be that forbearance until Christ's blood The blood of goats and animals could not take away sins. It couldn't get us forgiveness. It couldn't get us cleansed. It was only a temporary covering until Christ came with his ultimate perfect blood sacrifice that when we believe in that, our hearts become cleansed by faith. And that's that's what unifies all of us here. Regardless of where you go to church, regardless of what country you live in, Regardless of what color of your skin or what language you speak, the common denominator between you and every other believer in the world 
is that your heart has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been cleansed by faith in that blood. So all the exterior stuff can never do it. Proof. Now, if you want to, I mean, we can't really go into this here, but if you read Romans 6 and 7, Paul talks about the reason why the law was given. You know, the law was given to obviously make Israel unique, but it was a shield and a covering for the seed until Christ could come. That he, God protected the people of God, Israel, until the Messiah would come and forgive and take away sins, and bam, now the gospel can go out to the whole world. And so the law actually acted as a magnet for sin because it made that which was sinful even more sinful. And Paul talks about it. The more I tried not to covet, the more I burned with lust for things, right? Because the law inflamed that. So God was almost tricking Satan and tricking sin into being itself and really gathering all in one place. And that's the concept of Jesus taking all the law on him because he acted as Israel and bore their sins for not being able to fulfill that law and follow it. And in doing so, cleansed and forgave Israel and also made a way for everyone to be able to come to Christ and to be saved, all peoples, all nations, through faith. But at verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they also are. Again, grace and faith. Two amazing gifts from God. without which we would not be able to know God, our creator. And then verse 12, all the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So again, this is not to say, oh, God was doing all this really cool stuff through us and among the Gentiles too. They're saying it because if this isn't true, why would God be doing this among the Gentiles? Why wouldn't, our, why wouldn't he stop us from going to the Gentiles? Why wouldn't he say, when, I, <clears throat> when that lame man <clears throat> in the last chapter was sitting there and Paul looked at him and, and he said what? He looked at him and that man had what when he saw him? Does anybody remember? He looked at him and knew he had the faith, right? By just looking at him, he knew that God had given him that faith to be healed. Gentile. He stood up. And so... That's why he's saying about these signs and wonders. Signs and wonders in and of themselves are not what what we should look for. They're not what we should go for. God uses them in all different types of ways. And in this way, yes, he's using it to say that this is a one, this is one church. Now we hear from James. Who's James? The first pope. A brother of Jesus. I find this really unique. I find this really fascinating, actually. Because what was James? Was James always? Was James uh, one of the apostles? Gab? No, he wasn't. He didn't believe Jesus. So at some point, not only does he come to faith, but God also gifts him with the grace of this leadership. And he's very gracious, James. And, and what else did this James do unique as it relates to the Bible? 
he wrote the book of James. The book of James is like often used as proof from people that believe in works salvation because they don't understand the context of James. But what we're about to hear from James is, uh, is invalidates that because James isn't saying in this passage that he's about to, that he's about to rule and he doesn't say, yes, everybody has to do works and yes, everybody has to follow the law, the Torah. No, the book of James is about the proof and the expression of that true faith that you have. That if you are just doing nothing and you have no fruit in your life, then is your faith really alive? And so it was a very, very uh, good exhortation for the church. And um, it was written a little bit later than this. <clears throat> But James, he, he, after they have stopped speaking, so now James is going to speak. <clears throat> Verse 13, brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles the people of his name. Who's Simeon? Simon Peter, right. With him, with, he has, Peter has three names in the Bible. Peter, Simeon, or Simon, and does anybody know the other one? Cephas, very good. And the rock, right. The pebble. With this, the words of the prophets agree. That's four names. Just as it is written. So James here goes right to the scriptures, right to the promise of God about what's happening here. And he's reading from Amos chapter 9 which says, the prophets agree, after these things, I will return. God is saying this. How did God return? Jesus. And I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I like the translation that says, the house of David, because the house of David is the people of Israel, the true Israel. So after these things, I'm going to return and I'm going to rebuild Israel, which has fallen. I'm going to rebuild its ruins. I'm going to restore it. Why? Why is Israel restored? Why was Israel the one that got the gospel first? Why were, why were they the ones that first had it? Because of these promises God made that they, through them would all the nations of the world be blessed. It's this, this is the righteousness of God, his righteousness of fulfilling his covenant and doing what he says, despite the mess that we made of things. And he's going to rebuild so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So ultimately, what's James saying here? <clears throat> He's saying that God is doing what he said. He is remaking Israel, not the geographical political nation of Israel. He is remaking the household of David. Remember, Paul talks about all of us are parts of a building with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. We're all parts of Jesus's body. He is the, the true Israel. We are all part of his body, whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, a Greek, a barbarian or whoever that's the this is the rebuilding that God is talking about the rebuilding of Israel which is ultimately going to is going to infiltrate the entire earth and remake it 
And so it's his judgment in verse 19 that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they may abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled by blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. What is James saying here? I have no idea. Yeah. Well, listen, <clears throat> let's, let's go back. It was a mouthful. He's basically saying, look, the Jews are troubling the Gentiles. Saying, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to follow the law. And these people, remember, this is... <laughs> This is a, uh, a group of people, the Gentiles, they weren't allowed to even have, well, the Jews weren't even allowed to go into their homes. They weren't even allowed to share a meal. These guys were, they were like so confused. Now we have to merge with these people? So James says, let's tell the Gentiles they have to do these three things. Abstain from the things contaminated by idols, abstain from fornication and abstain from what is strangled four things and from blood four things now does this mean this is what we have to do as a christian we could do everything else we can go out and party and just we could commit adultery uh well no i guess that would be fornication um you know we could uh, uh be um Lie, cheat, steal. Yeah, we could break all the other commandments. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Trying to be soft here. But yeah, we could do all that stuff. Is that what, the, is that what he means? No. Who, who knows what he's talking about here? I think he's talking about grace. He's talking okay. about having grace for the Gentiles who uh, not wanting to create hurdles that they can't get over. Um, then also on the other side, trying to create... Um, on both sides. So the Gentiles have some grace for the Jews because there's things that are just so horrifying. Yes. That they're going to have a hard time dealing with seeing. Yes. It's an ultimate, it's a great compromise. This has nothing to do with uh, uh, works salvation. Chris said perfectly. So we have both sides here. James is going, look, I understand what the Jews are saying. This is hard. I understand that the Gentiles are they, the way that they live their lives are there's pagan festivals, you know, is where they came from. All right. Just you can imagine all the drunkenness and, and um, uh, sexuality and temple prostitutes and all this other stuff, which would turn the stomach of a Jew. That's why the that's why the Jews would say these Gentile dogs. Look at them. But James is saying, look, if you can just do these few things. It's going to be enough so that the Jews will be okay with hanging out together in the church. Because that's what he says. For Moses from ancient generations in every city has those who preach him since he's read in the synagogues. And that's where these people were meeting a lot. They were, the Christian churches were still meeting in the synagogues. So as long as you weren't, you know, coming to one of those love feasts with some, you know, fresh, uh, a lamb that's filled with blood. See, when you strangled... Uh, an animal and killed it, the Gentiles would just strangle it and kill it and they would cook it like, like sort of like we would make a pot roast, right? We don't drain all the blood out of it. 
we sort of eat it and, it, and it's delicious, right? We like it. I like it medium rare, and it's very good. But what the Jews would never do that. When they would kill an animal, they would hang it and drain all of its blood out before they would cook it and eat it because they were forbidden from having blood. So it wasn't just eating something with blood. It was eating something that had been strangled too because there still could be some blood left in the veins and in the meat. So they didn't want them to do that. And they also didn't want them, obviously, the fornication that they're talking about here is primarily with prostitution, okay? Um, and also, the other thing is things contaminated by idols. And so the Gentiles were constantly worshiping and sacrificing to the idols, whatever it is, and so they didn't want them having anything to do with that. So this is not necessarily a, uh, a works-based pattern for us as we look, because that's why we got to look at all the rest of the scriptures. Paul talks a lot about, you know, to the Gentiles about not being a stumbling block to the other person. And he's primarily talking about this unity. If you know that you're sitting down with a Jew to eat, you know, or, you know, you, and, and, and you're going to feed you got feed this guy, don't be a stumbling block to him because you have freedom to eat food or a certain thing you want when you're there, you want to do the right thing. And Paul even said, don't ask, hey, is this, been, just eat what's put in front of you. And so he's trying to, this is, that's, this is later on in the, in the teaching, but this is initially how it, how it's, how it started. So, um, <clears throat> I, my, I have a note on here. If you look at, you don't have to go there. Leviticus 17, 14 is which talks about this law that life of all flesh is in the blood. And so that's why they were not allowed to eat things that were sacrificed and that had blood in it. So this seemed good to the apostles, verse 22, and elders with the whole church to choose among, uh, from, uh, from among them to uh, send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barabbas and Silas, leading men from among the brethren in Jerusalem. Why do you think they, they sent two other people back with them. What's that? Strength numbers and the two witnesses. Two witnesses, right. They didn't have a Zoom meeting where they could just like all pop in and say, hey, the elders, here they are. They're verifying this. No, they had to go with a letter. And, and then so you got Silas uh, and you got Judas um, with Paul and Barnabas, who obviously were for this. <clears throat> said, no, we were there when this was done. We were in the council. The letter is legitimate. And um, they sent that letter, which is from verse 23 all the way to 30. So they were sent away. They went down to Antioch. They had gathered the congregation together. They delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, and again, here is my basis for long sermons. They encourage and strengthen the brethren with a lengthy message. So, they, the long preaching sessions is a biblical thing. Until someone falls asleep and falls out of it. <laughs> yeah, until someone falls, yeah, right. Aphrodite, right? Is that him? Well, who? Or somebody like that, I forget. Who fell out the window, Aunt? When, from Paul's longs preaching. 
don't remember that story. Oh, yeah, it's, in, it's, it's coming up next. Okay. So after they had spent time there, they went sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. That's verse 34. You see those, does your Bible have, if anybody's following along, does your Bible have brackets around verse 34? Right, so that means... Okay, so what, do you, what Bible do you have? Okay, so they took it out. Yeah, that just means that it wasn't in the early manuscripts. So they, if you see that in your Bible with brackets around certain things, you, you know, use caution with those. Some, I know preachers that do not preach anything that's not contained, you know, like, like the end of Mark and, and, and things like that. John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, um, is another one that doesn't have a lot of uh, early manuscript evidence anyway. So now we go to the second missionary journey. This is, this is a short time after. This is A.D. 49, still 50-ish around there. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Very, very cool. You know, this is an application here is this. Look, if God has put you, put people in your life for you to minister to, um, that you are uh, able to disciple or maybe somebody became a Christian through your witness and through your testimony, you should follow up with those people. You should engage those people. You should bring them into the church. You should minister to them. And I'm not saying chase them around, but I am saying, look, it's good to go back and reiterate. Now, with Paul and Barnabas, I mean, I could only imagine how important this would be right because you could you just you know you, you go into a into an area and give people a complete brand new doctrine of jesus being the messiah the holy spirit is so active that these people not only become converted but they become preachers and teachers and elders and deacons and phew, paul leaves <laughs> And there's no phone calls, there's no texting, there's no quick answers to anything. There's long gaps of time before you may even get a letter or a word from somebody. So it was very important for them to continually retrace their steps and strengthen the churches and encourage the churches. Because I can imagine the discouragement, especially under persecution. And then verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, as we believe. But Paul insisted that they shouldn't take him along because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Remember, we, we, had, we, we read about that, that my speculation, okay, is that that first missionary journey, when they went through this island right here of Cyprus and they encountered all that persecution and they encountered those demonic, that demonically possessed magician uh, who Paul struck with blindness. Mark probably said, I don't know if this is for me. I mean, I think my calling is uh, Jerusalem and, and, and backed out, right? That's my speculation. We don't know what happened. Maybe they just didn't like each other. Maybe, you know, Paul to me seems like somebody that's a very strict, his way type of guy. So who knows what could have happened. And so... Mark left him, and now Barnabas 
Um, historically, it's known that Barnabas was his uncle um, from some early writings in the church fathers. So he wanted to take him along. And Barnabas, what, what was Barnabas known as? Encourager. He was an encourager. Barnabas was a gracious type of guy. He was somebody that, you know, was just always encouraging people and building them up and probably wanted to give Mark another chance. And Paul being more of a Pharisee, hardline sort of, you know, guy here with on a mission said, look, this guy's going to cause, he's, we're going to bring him out again. He's going to bail on us again. And they really had a big disagreement. Such a sharp disagreement. They separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. I'm so glad that that verse is there. Being strengthened and committed, I'm sorry, being committed, what strengthened isn't there, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. What does this tell you about the relationship and the argument that happened between Paul and Silas? I'm sorry, thank you, Paul and Barnabas. What does it tell you? Any insight? What would you gather from that? So sharp they couldn't travel together anymore. They couldn't. So it was a bad disagreement. But then after that, they were committed by the brethren to go and to the grace of the Lord. They strengthened churches. They strengthen the churches. Maybe I'm going a little bit off here, but it, to me it shows me that even though these two brothers in the Lord who had ministered together had disagreed, and we know down the road that this was a reconciled relationship because Mark, Paul says, was useful to Paul in his imprisonment and in his journeys and whatever he was doing. Suggested it was just between them. Yeah, it, it was just... It over into the brethren. It didn't spill over into anything else. It was a disagreement they had behind. Most yeah. And that's where it ended. Right. And they took a, a united front so much so that because if <laughs> if there's a, a, a split, you know, the brethren aren't going to be like, yeah, sure. Go in the grace of the Lord. Say, we need to work this out. What are you guys doing? So it shows me that they got they had a disagreement. They decided to disagree, maybe without being disagreeable, although it was a very sharp agreement behind closed doors that they still went out and didn't let it affect the other brethren and didn't let it affect the work of the Lord that had to go forward. And I think that's a really good exhortation for us as we, as we go forward in our ministries and as our church, as people come into the church, as we decide on things, you know, everybody here is equal before the Lord. Everybody here has, you know, uh, and I'm not just saying here in this room, I'm saying our church, right? We have visions. We want to do this. We want to do that for the Lord. And, you know, we should all be able to bring those things to the, to the, to the church and say, Hey, let's do this. Not all people are going to agree when you want to do things, you know? Um, and so you have to be able to expect that, have grace, be humble, and, um, ultimately have that unified front. And so there they went traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so there we have chapter 15 of the book of Acts. Saul, um, a lot of tension within the church, but the Holy Spirit working it out and God pushing forward um, onto the next missionary journey. 
And so next week, uh, we'll, we'll end here, and next week we'll, we'll dive into chapter 16. Does anybody have any questions, any comments, any applications, any? Does history tell us what the argument was or what it was along the lines of? Yeah, Mark. They wanted to take Mark with them. Oh, okay. Because remember, Mark bailed out on them in the first missionary journey. Yeah. yeah so that's that's ultimately what it was about. Okay. And Mark was the same gospel writer. That's what we are. Yeah, that's okay. from what we know. Yes, that's okay. what the general opinion is. Okay. Mark wrote the gospel uh, alongside of Peter. Oh, okay. Basically, uh, that's. Okay. I think one of the things is. Um, if they had a disagreement like that, don't be surprised if there's disagreements among your fellow believers. Mm-hmm. But it's how you handle it that's most important. So there was no lingering, um, like you said, not a divide. It was, yeah. a, all right, this is how we're going to move forward. Very good. Noah, what do you think? Thanks, bud. He's a Barnabas over there. Yeah, he is. Encourage me. (laughs) All right. Well, let's close in prayer.